Yeah, well, good evening, everybody. Guys all look great tonight. Thank you. I'm excited. Are you excited? Tonight is leadership night, and just to clarify, kind of set the tone, if you're newer here, we set aside the first Tuesday night of every month, the first Tuesday night service, uh, and we call it leadership night, and we focus on building and growing leaders here in our church for people to become all that God has called them to be in their lives, for us to be all that God is calling us to be in, the, in our church, and ultimately for us to make an impact in the world around us. And uh, that's no small thing, is it? It's a really big deal. And you know, I want to start out just talking a little bit tonight about how we really find ourselves in an interesting time here in our nation. You know, we're faced with a lot of challenges a lot of battles out on the horizon that we're fighting that we weren't necessarily fighting 100 or 200 years ago. There's always been battles, but we find ourselves fighting different battles here in this day and age. You know, we see a significant uh, assault going on in our country, in society, against godly principles and morals and values, the very fabric which are foundation of our country and our nation was built upon you know I don't I started to go through and pull statistics on things and quite frankly it was really staggering and and a little depressing I didn't want to just go through and spend too much time sharing all that but you know there are abnormally high levels of things going on out there like divorce and and fatherless children abortions drug and alcohol abuse continues to rage you know, God is being forced out of our schools, our young generation in the most influential times in their lives, and we are being told to accept as a society that it's not right for them to hear about or learn about the God that created them. We, we see government pushing God aside and pushing it out more and more uh, from seeking him and his ways towards the agenda that we would take our country. Homosexuality is threatening to become a mainstream lifestyle. And quite frankly, sexual immorality is lurking really at every turn in every corner. The very foundational principles and values that our founding fathers built on our, our nation upon are being deteriorated day by day. And how many people know that when the foundation of a structure deteriorates, doesn't matter how magnificent the structure looks on the outside or above ground, that the foundation falls apart, what happens? Everything collapses, right? And we are in desperate need in this day of a, of a shoring up and a re-solidifying of the foundation that was built before any of the above structure was set in place in our land. You know, Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying that America will never be destroyed or conquered by a foreign power. But if we falter or lose our freedoms, it will be, be because we have destroyed ourselves. Very powerful. Very, very powerful. So I want to ask you two questions as we get rolling here. Number one, does that bother you? Does that disturb you? Does that upset you? You know, raise your hand, if, just by showing, how, raise your hand if that bothers you, the fact that that's happening in our country right now around us. But secondly, and I won't ask you to raise your hand this time, to what end does it bother you? To what end 
does it upset you? What are you willing to do to see a change? You know, I used to think a lot about making a difference, and I've really always wanted to make a change in this world for the better. But I used to feel like in order to really do that on the kind of level that I was thinking in the change the world kind of thing, you know, change our, our country, that I, I needed to really set out to be like a politician or maybe the president or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, maybe a Bill Gates, something like that. Perhaps many of you have wondered the same thing or maybe even still do think that that's the kind of stature that one would have to attain for their life to bring about world-changing impact. But I have come to believe with everything in me that that's really not the case at all. That the answer to transformation and change in our world lies in the church. That the church is the answer. More specifically, the men and women in the body of Christ who are the church, being all that God has called them to be and fulfilling the purposes and the destiny that God preordained for them ahead of time itself, that that in itself would be bringing about world-changing impact. The body of Christ fulfilling God's plan, each and every one of us for our lives. You know, it's really powerful if you look at statistics and, for example, you know, they basically say that one out of every two marriages today ends in divorce. That's an accurate statistic, by the way. But then you see a lot of people talk about how the statistics of people in the church are no different than the statistics of people in the world. But if you dig a little deeper... In those surveys, you find some very interesting information. For example, I said about divorce, it's true that if you surveyed, which the surveys have been done, people that claim to be a Christian, that 60, roughly 60% of those that are or were married, those marriages do end in divorce. People that claim to be a Christian. However, if you look at the statistics of the, of the people claiming to be a Christian that actually say that they walk out their faith, that they are in church on a weekly basis, they read their Bible, they pray, they believe that God has a calling for them and that they are striving to walk out the purpose God has for them in their life, the statistics are staggeringly lower, about 30% as opposed to roughly 60%. What does that say to us? It says that there is a significant difference between saying that we're a Christian or saying that we're, we, we're a part of a church, we believe in, in, in faith, have faith in God, versus actually walking out our God-given purpose in this life. There's a difference in the two. And as we walk out our God-given purpose in, the, in our lives, as, we, as the body of Christ does that, that we begin to see widespread transformation and change taking place in the world around us. So, better put, 
I would say, not only are you a Christian or are you walking out your faith, let me ask it like this. Are you called or are you chosen? And that's really where I want to begin to take the direction of this message tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this message that you've put on my heart. God, I just pray that I can deliver it in a way that's worthy to you, Lord. I just feel every part of my body just vibrating with your presence and with your power and just screaming out that this message needs to be heard. And so I ask you, Lord, help me to deliver it accurately and in the way that you would have me do. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to really address the kind of devotion and resolve that it's necessary for leaders in our land, in the church in our land, to be able to maintain, to walk out in order to see this kind of transformation, this kind of change take place to bring our nation and ultimately our world back to a place where we are resting upon a dependency of the Lord our God. I actually entitled this message uh, tonight, Calling All Leaders. Because I just think this is a message that every leader everywhere needs to hear. No matter where you find yourself leading, what type of a, uh, environment that you are around every day, that this message is absolutely pertinent to each and every one of us. And I want to start in Matthew 22. If you have your Bibles, go there with me. And the parable of the wedding feast. It begins... And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and set out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding." But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you can find, invite to the wedding." So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how do you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know, there's some obvious revelation in scripture here in this parable that God is calling mankind to a relationship with the son Jesus Christ that the father represented by the father of the groom here is the father God and that the groom is Jesus Christ the son and that we are invited guests in the world and that every, those that are called you hear the call, you receive the invitation to accept Christ, but until you invite him into your heart and you're born again, you're not actually chosen and you're not an inheritor of salvation. We understand that. 
But I also want to paint a picture for you of, of just where God dealt with me on this scripture. And that is in the fact that when we are called to salvation, that we receive and in, we're inheritors of salvation by grace through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, but that we are also given this life of purpose, this destiny, this plan that God ordained for us before the beginning of time that we would walk in, that would bring about the kind of impact in this world that he desired to bring. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God had a plan for every person. So just when we receive salvation, it's a supernatural, amazing miracle, the greatest thing that will ever happen to us. But we are not to uh, be unaware of the fact that we still have a purpose and a destiny and a plan that God has prepared for us that we can choose to walk out or not to walk out in our lives for the remainder of our days here on this earth. It starts out in this parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like uh, a father who prepared a wedding feast. And the kingdom of heaven essentially are like the kingdom purposes, in addition to just salvation, the kingdom purposes that God wants to fulfill in this earth through the lives of his children. Right? The Bible says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he has prepared for us purposes and plans for our life to bring about that we must embrace and walk out in order to see the kind of things happen that God has prepared for us in our lives. You know, in ancient times, there is many examples of people and nations that were called but did not become chosen. You think about old-time Israel. You think about the Jews and then the Gentiles hearing the call of God and then running away from it, not embracing it, and not becoming chosen, and then suffering the consequences of those choices. In verse 5, it's really interesting to me that they're invited to the wedding feast of the king, all of these people in the land, but they decline this invitation. They're called, but they don't actually become chosen. And I think there are three reasons that I see that potentially they decline this invitation. And we're to think about things in our life where we're called to a life with Jesus Christ. We've received salvation if we've accepted him. But are we actually embracing and walking out the call and the plan that he has for our lives that will bring about the kind of change and transformation in the world around us that his kingdom purposes are looking to fulfill? And in verse 5, one of the first reasons that we can see that they decline is that they are too attached to their own plans and their own desires. As if going and plowing a field or cutting the hay, or whatever, yoking the oxen, is somehow more significant than attending a feast that you've been invited to by the king of the land that you dwell in that rules over everything you see. How could we, how could we think that? Because we get involved in the busyness of our things and what we've got going on, and we're just not willing to let go of those things in order to lay hold of his things. 
to say, yeah, I got all this happening, but this invitation from the king is more relevant, more pertinent, and if I follow out what he's asking me to do, then everything else that I'm worried about, I've got to know in faith that it's going to get taken care of. It's going to work out as it would because what the king wants me to be doing and where the king wants me to be is exactly where I need to be and what I need to be doing and nothing else. And all I need to know is that the king is the one that invited me. Number two is they probably began to talk amongst themselves. They were probably persuaded by other uh, friends and family and people around them. Like, well, you going? No, I'm not going to go. Well, yeah, if you're not going, I'm probably not going to go. I got stuff to do. I'm busy. And all of a sudden, this persuasion of the world, of the thinking that is contrary to the only thing we need to be thinking begins to set in and they are swayed by it. They are persuaded and they, know, they choose not to go. Essentially, we sort of gravitate towards in our lives people that will help us validate the things that we are maybe entertaining that will be a little bit more comfortable for us or less risky than, the, than stepping out in faith in the things God wants us to do. Isn't it true? Don't we do that? We just gravitate towards the people that are going to have the answers that we want to hear. Whenever we didn't really need to ask a single soul because we already got the invite from the king. What anybody else has to say is completely irrelevant. And number three, they believed, I, I just, God just showed me this, and this is a, a big one, I know this is for people here tonight, that they believed that their absence was insignificant. They believed that their absence was insignificant because they were looking through the eyes of just themselves. Well, there'll be a lot of people there. There'll be a lot of other folks there. Nobody's going to know. that It's not going to be a big deal if I'm not there. I got other things to do. I'm just not going to go. My absence, it's pretty insignificant in the big scheme of things. And that is one of the greatest lies that the enemy could lodge in your mind and in your soul. Don't think for a second that a single life that is devoted to following the call of God cannot change the entire world that we live in. Don't think for a second, because it's not that life anyway. It's the power of Christ working through that life, and whatever the Creator deems to be uh, brought about is going to happen if there's a son or a daughter of obedience walking out what God is calling them to. You know... We often have a misconception of what a world-changing life really looks like. We sort of, like I talked in the beginning, we think maybe Bill Gates, maybe CEO, maybe president. Okay, those guys can change the world. But we have a very false, a, a misconception of what a world-changing life really does look like. Each and every one of your lives right now that you're living is, a, is the potential for a world-changing life. It doesn't have to be a CEO, a president. It doesn't have to be any of that. You know, there's a quote that I heard. It says, uh, one dedicated, committed father is worth 100 teachers in the life of a child. And that's not to downplay the significance of teachers. I value and appreciate them with everything in me. 
but it, it, it doesn't set that down, but it sets appropriately the value of what one life means, of what one person fulfilling the call that God has put on them can actually bring about. You know, we also see in this parable that God is inviting everyone he invited the servants in the land, and then when they didn't come, he invited good and bad alike in everybody. God is inviting everyone to a seat at his table of the kingdom purposes being fulfilled on this earth. There is a standing invitation for every person in mankind. But it's, it's interesting that a missing seat will eventually get filled by someone. You know, you see so many examples where, not to say that I necessarily know what God is calling somebody to do, but I would say that I believe very strongly at times I've seen where people have not stepped out to fulfill what God is calling them to do, most certainly in areas where people are not being a father to their kids or other examples like that. And it's interesting that that seat eventually gets filled by something or someone in that child's life because the need doesn't change. There's still a feast going on, right? And sometimes it's, it's good and it works out well and some godly man steps in and helps to steer that child. But other times, it's something very, very bad. And that seat gets filled with deceptions or lies or immorality or insecurities or all the other things that we could name off right now. That seat is going to be filled. Yes, your absence in the call of God is on your life. If you're not stepping into it and being chosen, yes, that is very, very significant in the scope of God's plan for eternity and for mankind in this world. It is very significant. Even the man without the wedding garment tried to fill a seat. You know, he tried to get in there. But he wasn't one of God's children. He wasn't supposed to fill that seat. And there are a lot of seats being filled in the lives of the people in our world that are not filled by the person that's supposed to be there. So we are to understand that we are all invited to this place at the table of God's kingdom purposes on earth and that failure to accept the invitation and to attend will result in a void somewhere, somehow that will most certainly get filled by something or someone. Let's go to Philippians 3. And I want to move from the call into being chosen and walking out the call. Again, to clarify, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, you've been chosen and you're bound for eternity. But I'm talking about the fact that we're all called to a life of purpose and walking that out is a, is a representation of being chosen in the life that God has for us. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, the kind of resolve, fortitude, determination that it takes on the part of a believer to just walk steadfast in the plan that God has for us for the remainder of our days, pressing on towards the goal. The Apostle Paul says, starting in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. We see one of the greatest examples in the history of time of walking out God's plan for his life, telling us the mindset, the approach, the determination that he is going forward in in order to stay committed to the call of God in his life. He says, I'm reaching forward. I'm laying hold. I'm pressing in. Now, God showed me this picture in this scripture where if I go up against this piano and I start to just kind of like push it. Don't worry, Sean. I'm not going to go all the way with this. But if I start to just push it a little bit, I'm really not going to be able to do much to it. But if I lean in and I press forward and I lay into it with everything I've got, my, every strength in my body, I can begin to move that thing forward. And that is the way the Apostle Paul is pressing in to the call of God on his life. So much so that if this thing moves this way or that way and I don't go with it, I am going to fall. I'm going to fall. So we are to press in and lay hold and reach forward with everything in us. There is nothing else we can put our hands on. We've got to be so sold out and committed to this thing that's the call of God on our life that nothing else can even entertain our grip in order to press in and stay attached to what God has for us. It takes resolve. It takes fortitude. It takes determination because the world is going to fight you at every corner to get you to let up. You know, if I do this, if this thing moves on me, I don't fall because I'm not really laying into it. I'm not really grabbing hold and attached to it. So there's no risk to me if it moves out of the way. Keeping my foot in a place of complacency in the world helps me feel secure, right? And I don't lay in to everything that God has for me 100% devoted and committed. Are we pressing in? Are we leaning forward into God's call for our lives? Or are we just walking alongside of it, keeping a hand on it, sort of nudging it, Maybe letting someone else bear the brunt of the force, knowing that if it falls, it's them, not us. Paul goes as far as to say in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he says, And I see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He goes as far as to say he is not only laying into the call of, the God, of God on his life, the, the Holy Spirit is leading him to do, that he is bound bound himself to it. He is bound to it, unable to attach from it. He says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You know, He's actually addressing the elders from Ephesus. He calls a meeting, gets them together, people that he's done life with for a number of years, months now here. And he's basically telling them that he's bound by the Spirit to head to Jerusalem. And he's never going to see them again. Makes it clear and later, further on in Scripture there that he's, he's departing. He's saying his goodbyes. 
I can't for the life of me think that Paul is excited about the fact that he's leaving some of his best friends forever and that he's going into a place where chains and tribulations await him. What could possibly begin to override all of that going on in our world around us? The fact that he is bound to the call of God on his life and that he is unable to be separated from it. He even says in Romans 6 and 7, he talks about being a, we were once slaves in bondage to sin, but now that we are redeemed and we are freed, we are slaves of righteousness. We are bound to Christ. He has chained himself and locked himself in such a way that no man could break to the call of God on his life. And wherever it goes, no matter what happens, he's going with it. He's going with it. Listen to this commentary. The calling of the Christian is from heaven and to heaven. It is placed before and above him in heaven. It may be his if he will not faint or tire or look backward. It demands his highest efforts and is worth all the exertions which a mortal can make even in the longest life. Powerful. The call of God is from heaven and we are doing it to heaven. It is laid before us and it is above us. I love that. I love that. Let's talk about a man, another man in the Old Testament that understood the necessity for the resolve it would take to walk out God's plan for his life. And that's Joshua. Let's go to chapter 24. A lot of you know this verse. 14 and 15. I'll read. And Joshua is addressing the people, the nation Israel here. And he's saying to them, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers serve that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. You know, Joshua is such an awesome example of leadership. He knows he's going first. He's setting the pace. He's setting the rudder here. He isn't worried about what anybody else is doing or thinking. His decision has already been made. And regardless of the outcome of every last soul around him, it is absolutely irrelevant to the fact that he has made the decision and has the resolve that I will follow God's plan for me in my life to the end of the earth. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it's almost as like, hey, I hope you do. It would be really, really good if you do. It's the most important thing. But by God's design, it's your free will if you do or not. And if you don't, sorry about your luck because I'm going forward into the plan that God has for my life. And what's going to happen for you ain't a good thing. There was never any type of debate or wrestling or anything. We can wrestle with a lot of things in life. But, man, brothers, sisters, one of the things that we should not wrestle with is whether we stay attached to the call of God on our lives or whether we gravitate back towards some mediocre, mundane, comfortable life that is not following the path that God has prepared for us. 
Joshua was binding himself to God's plan no matter what anybody else did. The whole nation could have abandoned him and it wouldn't have mattered. He would have still went in the same direction. Matthew Henry writes about this verse. When we cannot bring as many as we would to the service of God, we must bring as many as we can and extend our endeavors to the utmost sphere of our activity. If we cannot reform the land, let us put iniquity away from our own tabernacle. It's interesting, but that kind of resolve and determination where it's like, man, if everybody else is gone, I'm still going where God will. I hope it don't look that way, but it doesn't really matter if it does because I'm still going. It's interesting that it takes that kind of determination and fortitude to bring about the kind of momentum, the impact, the, the inspiration that can create a movement, right? The very fact that one man could completely care less if anyone else in the whole world follows him, but he goes forward in the thing which God has for him, results in an entire nation following him into the promises of God. Amazing. But if he would somehow have had conditions upon it, like, well, i got to make sure so-and-so comes with me. Well, i got to spend some time getting these people together because, man, I can't go without them. I can't imagine what would have happened there. Or can you imagine how the people would have went forward if Joshua hadn't stood up and been the leader in that moment that God was calling him to be? What would they have said? I don't know that that's how the nation was leaning, the direction that they were headed. Our nation is swaying in the pendulum, I believe right now, a little more on the wrong side of where we're headed than on the right side of where we're headed. My life and your life and every life here, guess what? That can change that. It can absolutely change that. So the result of this is, if you go on to read in verses 16 through 18, that they end up following him, right? Powerful. See, the stories of our heroes in the Bible, they weren't set out to be written. The men and the women of our scriptures, they didn't think to themselves, okay, what I'm going to do is going to be written in the book of that is not limited by time and that the rest of humanity for as long as this earth exists is going to read this and it's going to bring about change. They didn't set out to record their lives. They just led as God was leading them and history records the life of those men and women and worlds and people's worlds have been transformed and changed because of it every day since. The greatest leaders never, ever stop leading. You know, I've thought a lot about, like, I'm kind of what I would say, like a leadership guru guy. You know, I just like the subject of leadership. I study it. I'm just all about it. And so sometimes I think, well, you know, maybe you're just kind of bringing, you're bringing leadership into everything. And when you're talking about Christianity and stuff, you know, maybe there's things that you don't necessarily have to look at as leadership. But I've tried to separate the two. Really, I have, because I want to be objective, you know, but I can't, because a life lived for Christ is a life that is supposed to be influential and inspire other people to change, and that, by the very definition, is leadership. A Christian life is the life of a leader, whether you see it, agree with it, or not. By God's design, it is. The greatest leaders never stop leading. They're passionate 
about the cause that they devote their lives to. They're willing to die for it because the cost of surrendering is greater than the cost of death. And the cause that we devote ourselves to is God's plan for us. And we must bind ourselves to it, press in and lean forward, laying hold of at all costs, undaunted by what the sway of the world may tempt us to. And this is the kind of relentless devotion it takes to spark a movement. And history has proven that one life is all it takes to create such a thing. How many stories do we need to hear of one life that changed the world before we see and believe and have faith that our life could be such the same? It's my hope tonight is really not that this message is inspiring you or getting you excited or you know really sinking into your heart although I hope and pray it does but really what my hope is is that you will wake up many mornings from now passionate on fire for what the call of God on your life is and that you will draw your sword that day and every day after and be ready to do battle for whatever life brings you, standing for what God chooses, says is right, and, and fighting for what the plan that God prepared for your life is. And that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter your circumstances, your feelings, no matter how many people are maybe dropping off from that forward motion around you, it's irrelevant to the fact that you know exactly the direction that you continue to head. And you don't lose pace and you don't lose stride in the rhythm that God is moving you in. So I stand before you tonight and I just say that the commitment of my life towards what God has for me and changing this world is settled. It's settled. I don't know what it all looks like a year, five years, 20 years from now. I don't have the faintest idea. I don't know all the details of it. Nobody does. But what I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, is that I am forever bound, chained, and pressing in and leaning forward towards the upward call of Jesus Christ on my life. There is... And I will continue to lay my axe to the grindstone every day, preparing to fight and do battle for what I know is right. And that will never change, no matter what battlefield I find myself on. And one day, I know for a fact, the number of people that are here, and fast forward five, ten years from now, where we'll all find ourselves in many different places, but there will be days where we will rise up and we will step back in the moment of battle and we will turn and we will see some of each other side by side fighting for the same battle and the same cause. And we will also look on in a distant battlefield. There will be some of us not standing next to each other but still fighting for the same cause on a different field. And we will all be joined in the fact that we will not stop in this pursuit until the day of our final reward.
Will you join me is my question. Will you commit your life? Will you bind yourself to the plan that God has for you? Will you press in and lay, lean forward with everything in you to the point that if it falls, moves out, you're going with it. You're falling. There's nothing else holding you up, attached to you, stabilizing you, keeping you afloat. Because nothing else can. Nothing else can except the rock of Jesus Christ.